morning, everyone, and welcome in to another edition of the MacGyver Newsmakers Podcast. I'm Brett Healy, president of the John K. MacGyver Institute for Public Policy, and we are excited to have you join us for a conversation with Wisconsin Congressman Scott Fitzgerald. Elected in 2020, Congressman Fitzgerald represents the Wisconsin's 5th Congressional District in the U.S. House of Representatives. We talked with Congressman Fitzgerald as the House was about to vote on the deliberately misnamed Inflation Reduction Act, the latest mammoth and irresponsible spending bill the Democrats are trying to pass to supposedly stop inflation and pull the country out of recession. Welcome, Congressman Fitzgerald. Uh, Here this morning, you're out in D.C. We're back here in Wisconsin. Uh, Can you tell us why you're out in D.C. on such a glorious Wisconsin day? Ha. Uh, yeah, first of all, it's good to be with you uh, again, and uh, always appreciate uh, the work that the MacGyver Institute does on a regular Thank basis. You. Yeah, we, um, we got the call about a week ago, I guess, saying that uh, be on high alert because the U.S. Senate looks like they're going to put something together, and uh, clearly uh, there was a deal cut uh, that included Senator Manchin, and that kind of started the ball rolling to um, bring the House back. And we probably would have been in maybe even on Tuesday or Wednesday of this week instead of Friday, but unfortunately we had the tragedy of the Congresswoman from Indiana who was killed in a uh, auto accident, Jackie Walorski. Uh, so many members uh, wanted to attend that uh, event in Indiana And uh, so it kind of left us very little room this week to kind of uh, finish our business, but that ended up being uh, Friday of this week. So here we are, the uh, rules committee is debating the rules related to this bill today. We'll probably vote uh, this morning on the rule and then this afternoon on the actual bill itself. It's a huge comprehensive um, slim down quote unquote, slim down version of what Manchin was holding out on for some time. And it's now at a $740 billion level, uh, which uh, should be shocking to everyone. But unfortunately, in the environment we've been operating in over the last year and a half, uh, the way the numbers have been thrown around, it has turned out to, to be something that I think many members and certainly constituents when I'm back home in the fifth, just to have a hard time wrapping their mind around uh, the amount of spending that's going on right now. So let's take a step back. Um, here we find ourselves, uh, the, the country in a recession, inflation at 40 year high, eight, 9%. Gas prices double what they were just a few months ago. The price for everything, chicken, eggs, you name it, is going through the roof. Wages are not keeping up with all of these price increases. You're seeing real wage reductions for the U.S. worker. We find ourselves here because of the reckless spending from D.C. So why do the Democrats who control D.C., President Biden, Schumer, Pelosi, why do they think somehow a new seven? $740 billion spending package is actually going to help the country out. So if you talk to and listen to some of the Democrat members, I mean, what they'll tell you is that uh, the economy is 
not nearly as hot as what uh, some of the economists are saying it is. And as a result of that, they think that there's certain investments that they can make in certain sectors that will have the economy moving forward in a way that that's going to make sense. And, and, and obviously that's the spin that the president's using as well is that, you know, wait a minute, look at the jobs numbers, uh, look at some of the ancillary stuff like gas has come down to below four bucks a gallon. So, I mean, they're on this kind of two week um, messaging campaign to basically say, no, 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 the economy, you know, isn't in recession. Uh, and there are some indicators that really point towards if we just make one more investment in some of these things, it's actually going to spur the economy on. So uh, it, it, it kind of defies logic. Um, and they find themselves in a really difficult political position, knowing that they're going to lose seats in the fall. So they really don't have much wiggle room. And this is kind of where they end up. Now, what I would say is there's probably about 30 to 40 Democrat members who are in swing seats that have got to be really sweating this thing out, uh, especially with some of the highlights like, uh, you know, the hiring of 8,500 more IRS agents and, uh, you know, some of the stuff that they had calculated. And we've seen this before where it's, you know, all we got to do is make sure that if everyone pays their taxes, everything will be fine. We'll actually reduce the deficit. So there, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, uh, I think, Democrats that are just, they don't really have much wiggle room. So they're, they're going along with the program here. And, and it's, once again, it's going to put, uh, it's going to put us in a bind moving forward. So you mentioned the investments, uh, you mentioned uh, uh, parts of the bill. So let's, let's go through quickly uh, what we know about the, I would call it the inflation inducing act. Uh, you mentioned the 87,000 new IRS agents. You actually said 8,500. I believe it's 87,000. Oh, enough I to, did. Yeah. Enough to fill up uh, more than Miller Park, uh, Lambeau Field of new IRS agents, $80 billion in new funding for the IRS. I and other taxpayers here in the Midwest, in the heartland, we would question whether or not that's actually a quote unquote investment in, in, the, in the US, in, the, in our economy. Um, is there any way with all of these new agents, with all of this new funding, is there any way that somehow this won't come back to hurt the American worker, the average Joe, the middle class? Um, Democrats are trying to convince people that somehow all of this will only be focused at the super rich. Is there any way it doesn't hit all of us? No, because I think if you if you look at the numbers uh, and don't take my word for it, uh, you know, take take the experts words, any of the economists out there, there's like there's no way they can hold the line at 400,000. This is going to get down to people that are making 40,000. It's just not it's just not going to happen. It's never happened before. And as far as the agents go, I mean, that's the oldest trick in the book is to say, you know, instead of raising taxes, we're just simply going to collect the revenue that's due to the government anyways. So if we just put that many more agents out on the street, uh, you know, the collections will come and, and this will help us pay for this entire package and then help reduce the, the deficit as well. So uh, no, the, the, the economy is supercharged right now. It's overheated. Everyone knows that inflation 
uh, first and foremost, the price of gasoline at the pump. But then beyond that, if you go into the grocery store, like you said, uh, you know, I started hearing around the 4th of July, people really becoming kind of like, you know, we are being forced to make choices we never thought we'd have to make. And one of them is, you know, there's a lot of dual income families where if not uh, both, at least one of the spouses is commuting on a daily basis. So, you know, that's not something you can simply avoid or change your, your patterns on and, and get back to a good place. I mean, it's something that's, that's really uh, forcing families to make a really difficult decision on. So no, to answer your question, I, I, I have no idea um, how long it'll take for this to kick in, but when it does, you're going to see another significant increase in inflation. Uh, and despite what the president's saying, uh, you know, basically either completely misunderstands how the inflationary figures work or uh, is simply lying to the American people, uh, it's going to hover somewhere between eight and nine percent for some time, unless there are uh, some of the things that the Fed's doing right now related to interest rates that it has a direct effect on it. But those things don't seem, this is going to be like turning a battleship at this point. Uh, and now uh, some of the tax provisions included in the bill, of course, uh, Democrats try to convince us that these would only hit, again, the super rich. Uh, it wouldn't affect most of us, but we're starting to see analyses that show just the opposite, that they actually will uh, hit real Americans and small businesses, more importantly, small businesses. Uh, there's the pass-through loss limitation. Uh, one estimate shows that 5 million businesses in the country are pass-throughs. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about why that is going to have such a uh, harmful effect on the economy? Yeah, I mean, if you talk to certainly anybody in retail, uh, light manufacturing, which is one of our big sectors in Wisconsin, um, the margins are too small. You know, it's, it's not like they have a lot to play with in the first place. So if you've got some type of corporate tax increase, uh, and the other thing I think that's missed is that there are many of these corporations right now are organized with divisions. So even though you may see a name that you're familiar with at the top of the marquee on the front of the building, there are so many other divisions that they operate or function with that each one of those divisions is gonna be subject to some type of increased level of taxation. And because of those small margin, there's nowhere to go with it other than to pass it on to the consumer, which also makes them less competitive, uh, puts them at risk of uh, being vulnerable by uh, manufacturers overseas that can certainly, they have cheaper labor and are able to uh, export so, I, you know, there's many different uh, facets to this that are complicated. But again, at the end of the day, um, this is kind of what we've uh, grown used to over the last year and a half, which is kind of a lot of half-baked ideas, uh, whatever it takes to throw it on the floor. You've got a small margin of four or five votes typically, and whatever it takes to get it through. Um, it's not the way to govern. It certainly has put this country, I think, in a less competitive position than we were under President Trump. And, uh, you know, here we are again today in D.C. Uh, doing a lot of the same bad stuff that has been done over the last year and a half. The centerpiece tax increase of the Inflation Inducing Act is the book minimum tax, um, which will 
uh, I believe, hit small businesses particularly hard. There's a new analysis out by Heritage Foundation this morning showing that manufacturing as an industry will be hit especially hard. As you alluded to, uh, Wisconsin has a deep and extensive manufacturing base. Uh, and according to the Heritage Foundation, the top two states that will be negatively impacted by the book minimum tax is Indiana and Wisconsin. Can you talk to us a little bit about uh, how uh, that's gonna hit Wisconsinites, our, our small businesses, and more importantly, Wisconsinites uh, in the pocketbook? Yeah, it's what I alluded to earlier. I mean, our three big sectors that have driven our economy for a hundred years is agriculture, tourism, and manufacturing. Um, and uh, the reason it's been such a uh, strong part of our economy in Wisconsin uh, is because we're very good at it. Uh, there's a long history of manufacturing. Uh, it's cultural too. It's, it's having a strong workforce for many, many years. Uh, but it doesn't surprise me that, you know, here Wisconsin is kind of uh, in the same position as a state like Indiana because we're more susceptible uh, to any of these types of sweeping changes that are made by the federal government and state government, as far as that goes. So we've always been conscious of that, I think, at the state level. But when it comes down to how is this going to impact a minimum tax across the nation, uh, you know, just when you see somebody get productive, just when you see them have the resources to maybe invest again in new technologies or labor or whatever it might be, the government comes in and uh, swoops in and takes some of those resources away from the people that probably need it the most and, and, and the types of corporations that have a long tradition of reinvesting again and again and again. So, and then the ripple effect that it has on some of the other uh, related industries like transportation is probably the best example. So I, you know, there's, uh, there's a ripple effect as well. So bad idea, uh, poor timing, couldn't be any worse. And, uh, you know, unfortunately it'll take some time to see what the fallout is, but, and, and sometimes private sector, you know, they're, they're smart and they're nimble and they can maneuver and they can work around things, but this is the stuff that's heavy handed and shouldn't be done in the first place. I think one of the things that drives, um, most Americans crazy about DC and particularly in, in particular Democrats is the, um, uh, inconsistency, the, the, the hypocritical uh, uh, work that they do. Uh, and you see that here in this bill, there are specific carve outs, loopholes for certain privileged industries. So they won't be hit by the taxing provisions in this bill, specifically green energy, union pensions. Um, isn't that a sign that they really deep down Democrats know that this is actually going to have an adverse impact on people and industries. Yeah. And there's, and there's no shame, right? I mean, uh, they're very bold. Uh, we have, uh, in a, in a number of different, um, settings, uh, certainly Republicans have tried to call them out, whether it's in uh, committee, uh, certainly on the floor and rules, uh, each and every time th these things are brought to the surface. And, uh, you know, the one I've even been involved and offered 
amendments to simply peel out the carve outs that they've put in place for the unions. Uh, and then some of the massive just pension buyouts that are there. Uh, but they're, um, they're, they're, they're not really affected by any of this. They just drive forward with kind of these provisions. And, and like I said, with no shame that, that they are treating different industries and different players differently across the board. Uh, and maybe that's what makes DC the swamp that it is. Uh, it's kind of the maneuvering that goes on behind the scenes whenever uh, a bill comes to light. It includes all these other provisions that uh, to the average person would say that's not fair, uh, it's wrong, and uh, it shouldn't be part of any legislation. But that's, that's not the way it's working right now. And finally, I'll get you out on this. Um, anything that goes through uh, legislative-wise in D.C., there's always a discussion about deficits and where we sit as a country with our, our massive debt. Uh, and every bill seems to be judged as to whether or not it will increase or decrease our deficits. Um, Democrats are using some gimmicks. I, I would argue to hide the uh, excess spending in this bill to try and make it seem like it's not going to add to the deficit. Can you comment for our listeners about that aspect of this bill? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of uh, concern going back to the CARES Act that we already had a national debt that was increasing at an alarming rate. Uh, and, and then when it passed the GDP, uh, again, put it in a different category compared to what we had seen in past years. Uh, my colleagues, and I'm certainly one of those, it, it would be great to take back the majority in uh, November and then you know, the responsibility for the 12 appropriation bills would fall to the Republicans or whatever number that might be whittled down to. And hopefully we have some real leverage in saying there's just too much spending going on here. And if anything's going to hit the president's desk, it's, it's going to have to be in a form that the House Republicans find acceptable. And maybe the U.S. Senate, too. I hope the Republicans uh, obviously gain control in the Senate as well. But uh, it would be the first time that now we can kind of reset, I think, and say, all right, how are we going to tackle this national debt? And and uh, there are some some of the conferences, the Republican Study Committee is one of them, that uh, continually comes out with an actual budget and a plan to reduce that deficit. And the RSC, uh, which released that about a month ago, uh, you know, it doesn't happen overnight, but it puts us on the right path to reducing that that deficit to something that's reasonable. And, and the first thing you got to do is stop spending, right? If, if only we could get Democrats out in DC to acknowledge that. Uh, well, thank you very much. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you quickly, uh, headlines all this past week on the uh, unprecedented raid of President Trump's residence. Uh, do you, uh, what, what do you think of what transpired down in Florida? I mean, what I've learned in the last 48 hours and in talking to some of the members of oversight and judiciary, I mean, it's another example of something that uh, I think, and I'm on the Judiciary Committee, so the ranking member, Jim Jordan, as many of your viewers know and are familiar with, has, uh, it's, he's made that one of his goals is to continue to highlight 
just uh, how to how the FBI has just been way out of bounds on a number of different things that they've been involved in. We've actually had Director Ray in and um, asked some pretty tough questions. This was a while ago, not related to what has just happened with the raid. Uh, and then we've had Merrick Garland before the committee as well. And uh, that went back to uh, the more recent events of, you know, why is DOJ looking into school boards uh, and, and the, uh, the relationship with the uh, National Teachers Union. So, I mean, these are all, they all kind of fall into the same category of uh, two agencies that are completely out of control. And if there's one thing that Congress can do, again, hopefully regaining the majority in November, it would be to uh, choke off these agencies, just continue to reduce the level of funding to, that, to uh, like, like some of my colleagues are saying, right, uh, defund the FBI. Uh, that, might, that might not be uh, so humorous uh, six months from now, because it might be the only uh, way to really get control of what seems to have run off the rails. The idea that they would um, raid a former president's uh, home and a potential candidate in 2024 uh, means that they clearly don't care that they're politicizing those agencies. And, um, you know, I, I think there's going to be fallout. I'm not sure how significant, but, you know, from being back in the district this past weekend and talking to people about uh, what happened, um, you know, it's, it's significant and people are going to remember this. Well, Congressman Fitzgerald, we want to thank you for your time. Uh, we appreciate you coming on and giving our listeners an update, an up-to-minute update on what exactly is going out there in D.C. and with, uh, with the congressional vote. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Good to be with you again. Thanks, Brett.